Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi and I am your host and I'm trying to be quiet because there are people sleeping near me and around me. So I'm trying to be very, very quiet. Anyway, this is the bonus episode where we talk about the Tesla earnings and uh, just kind of, it was just like, an, it was just a weird earnings call, but still some good information. So um, I couldn't figure out a way to actually cut it up to make it interesting so we're just going to go through the whole thing and then i'll chime in where appropriate uh, but just to kind of save some time i cut off the first minute or so and jumped right to elon's opening remarks so let's start with those I, <clears throat> so i think i think our letter says uh says most of it um but i think we're, we're going to spend extra time on q a and try to answer as many questions as possible. Um, I think we should really be able to answer. We're gonna, so we're going to go as long as, as as there are good questions to answer. Okay. So right here, it doesn't seem like much of a statement, but it kind of that just kind of sets the tone for the entire uh, conference call because um, Elon doesn't think uh, some of these questions are very good or worth answering. So um, we'll just continue here. Um, the thing I most... The thing I'm most excited about is the uh, rapid increase in output. Um, we've got uh, just in the last uh, 24 hours at the Gigafactory, we managed to achieve a sustained rate of over 3,000 packs uh, per day, that's sorry, per week, um, and uh, actually reached a peak hour uh, with, if, if extrapolated outward, would be a rate of over 5,000 cars per week. Um, obviously, you can take a peak hour and assume every peak is every hour is as good as the peak. But it's so if you can if you can achieve it even once in an hour, then with continued refinement of the system and improved operational uptime of the uh, machinery, uh, it it's, it's, means that you you can achieve that sustained rate uh, with more with, with more refinement. So you spend spend essentially a month or two. Um, Improving the operational uptime and the, uh, the system as a whole will be able to uh, do over, you know, well over 5,000, I think. Okay, so I'm going to butt in with my golf announcer voice. Elon's talking about battery packs here and not the full cars, so that's kind of important to remember. 
I mean, what's interesting is that, at least in the case of pack, pack production, we were able to do this with minimal um, capex. And I think, I think in general, our understanding of production is improving dramatically, exponentially, in fact. And uh, we are seeing ways to achieve improved volume uh, with uh, dramatically less capex uh, by, by, by simplifying the production line, um, by really engaging all of our uh, associates, no matter how junior in, uh, improving the, the way that, that, that uh, parts are made. Uh, it's amazing how everybody's got good ideas, just needs to solicit those ideas um, and implement them. Um, and, uh, and, and then making ongoing design improvements so that when we discover that something is uh, <clears throat> not well designed for manufacturing, that we would very quickly change that part design um, and, and uh, introduce that into the flow. Um, one of the things we've also found is that there's some things that are very well suited to uh, manual operation uh, and some things that are very well suited to automated operation. And the two should not be confused. Um, so um, I should be clear that the vast majority of the Tesla production system is automated. However, um, as I mentioned in a tweet uh, a few months ago, uh, we, we did go too far on the automation front and automated some pretty silly things. Um, one example would be uh, we had this, um, this was a sort of, sort of ironically uh, foolish. Uh, we, we had um, the, these fiberglass mats on the top of the battery pack. Uh, they're basically like fiber, like they're basically fluff. Um, so I, uh, we try to automate the placement and bonding of fluff to the top of the battery pack, which is ridiculous. She, like, so we had Flufferbot. I don't know why, but knowing that Tesla has a machine, a robot called Flufferbot, that just kind of makes me happy, even though Flufferbot doesn't have such a good end. But, um, which was really uh, an incredibly difficult machine to make work. Machines are not good at picking up pieces of fluff. <laughs> They're... Human hands are way better at doing that. Um, and uh, so, so we had a super complicated machine um, using a vision system to try to put a piece of fluff on, on the battery pack. That same, that, then I saw, one of the questions I asked was, do we actually need that? So we tested a car with and without and found that there was no, no change in the, uh, the, the noise volume in the, in the cabin. So we actually had a part that was unnecessary um, that uh, was for which the line kept breaking down because Flufferbot would would frequently just <laughs> fail to pick up the fluff or put it in like a random location. Um, so, so that was um, that was one of the silliest things I found. Funny name aside, this is actually uh, one of many examples in this earning call earnings call on how they are improving productivity which is a good sign, which will eventually lead to profitability. I mean, fingers crossed. We're also, uh, and this, this is still remains to be fixed, but uh, in a lot of cases, but we're overgeneralizing over the design. Um, so for example, the, 
current battery pack has a, a port for the front drive unit, which we then put a, a blanking plate, a sealed blanking plate on. So essentially we, we punch a hole in it, then put a blanking plate over the hole um, and do that for all rear drive unit cars, which is kind of crazy. We've added cost, we've added a manufacturing step, we've added a failure mode, um, and uh, for, for something that is unnecessary. Um, so that 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 is that is you know that is something that's that's an example of something that's uh, uh, that's changed. So um, anyway, the result is we've we've had a radical improvement in production battery pack production went from taking seven hours to make a pack three weeks ago to um, under 17 minutes now. Um, so just show that's like really radical improvements are indeed possible. Um, we also saw an enormous improvement in Zone 4 of module production. Uh, this, I should point out, is a, a fully automated uh, zone, and, um, and and we're able to also achieve a sustained rate of uh, 3,000 uh, vehicles a week. So we're actually slightly ahead in battery module and, and pack production than, than expected. Um, the you know and, and with the, with some work at uh, the Fremont vehicle plant, um, primarily in the general assembly general assembly area, I'm confident we will very soon exceed the 3,000 mark uh, in Fremont. Um, so we're already there in the body shop, which is the which is also um, almost entirely automated, uh, where we weld up the, the body. Um, they were already capable of over 3,000 cars a week. Um, and, uh, and then a general assembly um, with some improvements, which will include uh, reduction, some reduction, at least I should say temporary reduction in automation. Here's just one of a few cases where human uh, workers were actually more efficient than the automated robots that they had designed. But like Elon said, it's temporary, so we'll see what happens going forward as far as they're just hiring a bunch of people. So I guess they'll find more jobs for those folks. Um, in a few places, then uh, we should be over 3,000. So basically I'm feeling really good about the Tesla production model three. Um, and I'm very proud of the work that the team has done. It's been a tr like amazing amount of hard work and sacrifice uh, by some very talented people to achieve this outcome. Um, it's worth noting the, uh, you see a chart in the uh, Model 3 market share versus competitors in mid-size premium sedans. Um, we are almost the best-selling sedan in uh, the United States in this category um, and um, as of April, and we will certainly be there in May. So we talked on the regular podcast about how Tesla is using, they've delivered something like 8,127, I don't remember the exact number, cars, Is that's in a quarter. So does do, do all these other manufacturers that are building sedans like the Toyota Camry, are they only getting, only, only selling a few thousand a month across the United States? That doesn't seem right. I'm not saying he's lying, because technically he can't, because it's a earnings call, he has to be honest, but just seems very strange to me.
Um, and, that, and that's something really odd. I mean, you know, be there in May and then, and then really be there later this year. Like third, in the third quarter, it will. I mean, I think that the, there's a good chance Model Three gets uh, maybe close to majority market share of mid-sized premium sedans. 40 to 40% seems likely, and, and maybe maybe a majority market share um, you know, later this year. Uh, this is coming from, from a standing start against a lot of established brands who have far more uh, sales outlets than we do. So this is very encouraging. Oh, and um, uh, yeah, as the letter says, um, I, I I'm feeling quite confident about achieving gap net income and positive cash flow in Q3. Um, this is not, you know, obviously a certainty, um, but uh, I, it, it does appear quite uh, quite likely in my view. Um, uh, we are going to conduct uh, you know, sort of a, a reorganization, restructuring of the company in the next, uh, this month. Um, and uh, make sure we're well set up to achieve that goal. Um, yeah, effectively what Tesla's gonna do here is they're gonna go through all of their their monthly subscriptions of all these contractors they're paying out. Like you go through and you're like, oh, I have Netflix, I have Hulu, I have Crackle or some other service that I'm paying for. And I don't watch any of these. So they're just canceling all those contracts. And I mean, that's a good start. It's gonna lead them down a road of profitability by getting all those costs under control and um, in, in particular the the number of sort of third-party contracting companies that that we're using has really gotten out of control so we're gonna yeah scrub the barnacles on that on that front it's pretty crazy we've got barnacles on barnacles so uh, that's there's gonna be quite a lot of barnacle rem removal um, all right. Uh, any guys want to make any comments? All Thank right. you, Elon. Right. Um, Shuri, let's go to the first question. So before we go to the first question, just kind of pay attention to Elon and his voice, and you can start to hear some maybe irritation or um, just some frustration in his voice as these uh, callers are asking their questions. So let, let's take a listen to the first caller here. Our first question comes from Brian Johnson with Barclays. Uh, yes, good afternoon. Um, want to talk a little bit about um, some of the, you know, first of all, if we talk about the 3,000, sort of all relate to the production ramp. If we talk about the 3,000, uh, 5,000 per week run rate, is that assuming 724 or at what point do you think you get to sort of five-day, two-shift um, operation? Now, I'm not an investor, I am uh, not a business person, and I'm not a very smart person, but you would think that Tesla runs their operations already as more than five days and at least two shifts. So I'm not really sure um, what this guy is asking. It just seems very silly. And it kind of goes, uh, it sounds like Elon and the rest of the people in the room think it's silly. Um, kind of feel bad for this guy they don't really dress him down or anything like that it's just like the the thought process between uh, them trying to get the 
car out and they're only working one shift five days a week. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I, first of all, I think a five-day, two-shift operation is a ridiculous um, way to operate because that would be a very poor use of CapEx. Um, nor, nor is it the way that we have operated in um, for most of Tesla. So the, the, the uh, module production, uh, cell module and battery pack production um, and powertrain production have always op operated on uh, um, a 24-7 basis. Um, and uh, the, the exception has been uh, General Assembly, um, which is operated on typically two to three shifts, um, you know, sort of a, a five to six day, 20 hour shift, um, and Paint, which is operated on kind of a six day basis. Um, so it, uh, I think it just makes sense to operate the whole company on the same basis. Um, but a majority of Tesla's always operated, a majority of Tesla production has operated on a 24-7 basis since we started production. Yeah, I mean, it's this JB, I could chime in. Yeah. You know, as Elon said, it, it, it really makes great use of the CapEx and the lines, and that's why yeah. we did it starting way back with the beginning of S. But aligning everything to the same shift schedule makes it so much more efficient because we don't have the seesaw of inventory, interline yeah. inventory between the different uh, different shops. So that's Exactly. One of the key things to improving the capital efficiency of the system is reducing work in progress, work in process. Um, and if, if you don't have, if the shifts are, shifts are not aligned, then you have to build up uh, inventory in, in kind of a storage warehouse. And then, right. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's it's pretty foolish to, to actually operate on a five day two two shift uh, thing anyway. Um, yeah. But but, but uh, it, it's it's you know this, this is sort of the we're using the the, the chip fab approach to capital efficiency. Uh, so it's you know, called AWS. Not just, it's not Amazon Web, Web Services. I'm not sure what it's called. But like there's something called Alternate Work, whatever. Yeah. Alternate Work Week. Yeah. Um, I think we're pretty cool. Like people work like three three long days and then four long days alternately, something like that. So multiple crews rather than just using overtime on weekends. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So it seems like just doing the like, math. It's not like one person working. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> it, there's, there, there, you know, there are like four or five shifts. Okay, so I'm going to cut out a second question because it wasn't relevant to this podcast. Um, it wasn't relevant at all, I don't think. Thank you. Our next question comes from Rod Lackey with Deutsche Bank. Hi, everybody. Um, just wanted to follow along on, on that line of questions. So um, to the extent that you're adding humans um, in certain automated processes. Um, you, can you just help us interpret the extent to which these changes affect the economics on Model 3 and, you know, to, to the extent that you've done uh, some competitive analysis, um, all of these efforts in the Tesla production system, how do you stack up competitively against other OEMs in terms of labor hours per vehicle or depreciation per vehicle? <clears throat> Well, I'll, I'll just I'll say some, some few things, and then I have uh, see if I can can elaborate. Um, let's see. So, um, the the thing that's that I've noticed is if you have a really complicated machine, um, like the the Fluffbot that I was talking about earlier, uh, in order to keep it operating, you have to have to have a ton of maintenance engineering. So you have to, like basically a pretty expensive 
you know, ma or maintenance engineers uh, that have to maintain the thing and, and uh, fix it, like basically seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, the, the, the cost of a maintenance engineer may not be incorporated directly into uh, or fully incorporated directly into gross margin, but it's nonetheless a cost that far exceeds um, the uh, labor cost of simply placing the fluff on the battery pack, which, as it turns out, was unnecessary. Um, so I think to actually, I, I do not see this um, having a material long-term long impact on our costs. I actually see most likely our costs will decrease. Um, Fully considered costs of producing the vehicles will, will, will decrease um, by getting rid of of, of uh, st uh, production stations that are really poorly suited to robotics because of the very expensive cost of robot technicians. Um, Rod, um, we are uh, very capex efficient overall. Let me just start from that point. Um, and if, if we look at um, our depreciation cost on a per unit basis at steady uh, run rate of 5,000 or so cars per week. We are, in my mind, well below a lot of our, uh, maybe most of our competitors, uh, we're below $2,000 uh, per unit depreciation. I have no idea what a factory or robotic technician costs or what, what they make with their benefits package and everything, but when you factor that, um, the maintenance, their time, and the downtime in the line, and there's the difference is only two thousand per car, two thousand dollars per car. Um, I mean that's gonna that's gonna come out in the wash pretty quick, actually. So um, not only does it give somebody a job, which I'm always for, it uh, you know it, it's it's making uh, the line more efficient, and more efficient means you know. Tesla doesn't go bankrupt, and um, one day I'll get to own the Model Y, and we'll talk about, um, it's good news that they're talking about the Model Y, but also kind of sad, but let's let's get back into the their needs call here. Of mm -hmm. course. Um, and then overall, uh, clearly there is some impact, as we have indicated in the letter, uh, from the uh, additional labor we've added, but it's temporary. And our expectation fully is a lot of this labor will come out once we stabilize production and then figure out smart ways of automating where it makes sense. Okay. Uh, th thanks for that. And, and um, just secondly, your comments in your letter on the advances in, in batteries were, were interesting. Could you give us some insight into um, how we can translate that into cost per kilowatt hour or, or some, some metric in, in terms of uh, the, the gains that you're making? Uh, that's something, I mean, every data, every data point, Rod, that we look at internally suggests that we are best in class, but we don't so prefer best, to. Which is not a class. Yes, we're the best. <laughs> Sorry. Well, the best in our class of one. <laughs> yeah. Compared, yeah. Yeah. I think directionally, Rod, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's helpful to understand the different uh, commodities and, and the trends that we're pursuing in the batteries. Um, you know, being on a path to reduce cobalt usage, for instance, has been something we've been working on for, for literally several years now, and you know, this has been extremely helpful uh, in the overall cost per kilowatt hour. You know, uh, especially you know with recent commodity price movements. So, 
I think you know we can't really be quantitative, but that directionally is is a pretty good trend. Yeah, we think we can get the cobalt um, to, to almost nothing. Hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. So two things here. One is they talk about reducing cobalt to uh, next to nothing or trying to get to that point. But apparently they're using nickel to substitute for the cobalt. And who knows how much, or I don't know how much environmental damage that's doing or not doing and how much cost savings they they get by doing that. Obviously it's some or they wouldn't do it. The, um, the other thing is they didn't really answer the question. They just kind of answered around the question. So it's only estimated. Um, people can only estimate what Tesla right now is paying per kilowatt hour uh, for the batteries. So um, apparently they need to be down around 100 to make the Tesla Semi work at $180,000. So uh, the closer we get to the Semi, maybe the closer uh, we'll get to 100. It's kind of how I'm looking at things. Thank you very much. Let's have the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Adam Jonas with Morgan Stanley. Uh, thanks, uh, Elon. Uh, so you repeatedly said, uh, I think in recent weeks, that you do not need to issue equity capital at Tesla. And I think many investors on this call would say it's better to raise capital when you don't need to. So I guess the first question is, um, yeah, you may not need to, but do you want to? No. Don't I want specifically, to? Okay. I specifically don't want to. Perfect. Okay. Um, my my follow-up, uh, Elon, is, uh, you know, your cars uh, produce really a, a large amount of data, and SpaceX gets into the satellite broadband business next year. Some are uh, well, SpaceX. Would, yeah. At all, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not next Talk year, but it's probably three years. Okay. So, okay, three years. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Um, some argue that SpaceX could offer Tesla a resilient cyber secure pipe for this precious vehicle data and, and a potential competitive advantage. So, Elon, is, isn't bandwidth an obvious domain for con collaboration between Tesla and SpaceX one day? I mean, it might be. There's lots of interesting things you could do. Cars got a lot of computing power and it's connected, uh, you know, to cell networks and Wi-Fi and everything. Um, or we could still be connected to a Leo, a Leo uh, Internet Constellation. I haven't really thought about it, but probably there is. I don't buy for a second that Elon hasn't talked thought about any of this stuff. Um, he's probably thought about it quite a bit. While those decisions have probably been made, I'm sure he's thought about it. And the next thing is, uh, would you buy SpaceX internet? Because I know I would if it was faster than my cable internet. I'd buy it in a heartbeat and I could have it anywhere for sure. Cool. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Tamburino with Goldman Sachs. Great. Thanks for, for taking our questions. Um, Elon, you, you talked about the, the downtime on the Model 3. You're going to take two planned periods this quarter. One's already occurred. The other is going to occur later in the quarter. You know, what specifically uh, have you addressed in Fremont so far, and what are you planning to address a little bit later and are those alone kind of remaining bottlenecks for you to get to the 5K within the Fremont plan? Up to this point, they've really only talked about the Gigafactory. So I don't think this starts out as a dumb question. Let's see where it goes. Um, well, 
the the Tesla production system at this point is is vast. So, um, and we literally have I, I, the two biggest factories on Earth uh, between the Gigafactory and and Fremont. Um, uh, Giga is still slightly smaller than Fremont. I think well maybe just yeah. But it'll soon be bigger than Fremont, um, and Fremont's like the second biggest building of any kind by by footprint. So it's just like this. It is a vast. The full answer to that question is a complex one. Um, the I, I feel very confident about our ability to get to 5K, you know, very soon, sustained rate uh, uh, at at Giga. Uh, getting to essentially getting to to 5,000 battery packs and and uh, motors and drive you know uh, power inverters in and chargers and that kind of thing, which is all done at a, a giga um, by the end of next month. Um, and uh, you know body production no, no problem. Um, a, a general assembly is probably our biggest risk. Um, uh, and um, I'm going to be focusing on, personally on that a lot in, in the next uh, in this coming month. Um, and then um, the paint shop is maybe the second biggest risk after General Assembly. Uh, but these are all pretty; these are all quite manageable. Um, uh, it's like it's not like huge brain surgery to get these things right. It's a lot of work. Um, like I said, it's a lot of just a lot of time and hard work, um, but it's it's very doable and yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really quite straightforward. It's like not like a fundamental impediment here. In, in many cases, we've seen huge gains through software, software that's in the car, um, software that controls the automation and connects to our our central systems. So in yeah. many cases, it's not even hardware upgrades that create substantial increases in velocity. Yeah, that, that, exactly. Doug makes a good point here, um, and I think that is that the product, the production, a really great production system is primarily a software problem, um, and there's no one in the order industry that is remotely as good as te Tesla as, at software as Tesla. We're, we're, I mean, Tesla is way better at software than any other car company. So if, if, if it is what I'm saying is true, that the biggest challenge in a production system is software, we are in a good position. I like that Elon says if that the biggest, um, the most important part of manufacturing is the software. And then he follows that up with, if what I'm saying is true, um, not a knock. It's just like that's a very... Um, like I'm very sure of this, but there's always a chance that I could be wrong. And I didn't know software was the most important part of manufacturing. I would have thought manufacturing was. Okay. Uh, maybe taking my next question in a different direction. What is your timeline for launching the Model Y, and have you begun to spend for this, or that only begin to start hitting the P&L from an R&D and a CapEx perspective in 2019? It will only start to become significant in 2019. Okay, so um, all of the CapEx spend for this year is associated with Fremont Model 3 Gigafactory. No, no, I, I mean, please take me literally. I, I said 
uh, it will only start to become significant next year. It's not zero uh, right now, but it's not it's not a, it's not a big number. And now the irritation is rising. Um, but it's not, it's not a big number relative to our revenue. You know, and like, in the early days of uh, product development, anyway, there's not much capex. Capex comes much yeah. later as you're committed to equipment, and equipment starts to come in in house. Yeah, although it is remarkable, like well, although the amount of money spent in the beginning is really quite low at uh, the beginning of the development program, decisions made at the beginning of the development program have massive uh, implications for, for future capex. So it is better to spend a bit more time uh, making the right design decisions um, and, and really thinking through the producibility of a, a product uh, before racing ahead with CapEx decisions. Uh, there's no question we could have made the Model 3 much easier to produce than we have. Um, Model Y, I, I think Model Y is going to be a manufacturing revolution. But it will be, uh, I think, incredible from a manufacturing standpoint because we do not want to go through this pain again. Um, yeah. If nothing else, the Model 3 production hell that they're going through is really teaching and uh, setting Tesla up for success in the future because uh, they're having to solve a lot of problems and going forward as they introduce new products and change old products, they're going to already kind of have this experience kind of set in stone. They're going to know what to do. I went ahead and deleted uh, this section of the earnings call because they just asked about uh, Model 3 gross margins and it wasn't really all that interesting. So uh, now they're going to talk about uh, Jim Keller's departure. Okay. Um, as a follow-up, um, could you just comment on, on Jim Jim Keller's departure, you know, highly respected chip architect? You know, what, what does it say, if anything, about um, the development of te Tesla's custom silicon and autopilot? Thank you. Uh, well, Jim's, Jim's a great guy, um, and uh, the, the, the sort of a dream he wanted to pursue for a long time, uh, to, which is to kind of redesign how server architecture works. Um, you know, you know, it's not something that 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 I find all that interesting, but it's, it's something that Jim. It's been a sort of personal dream of Jim's to do, and that's why I went to, you know went to Intel. Um, the you know the Tesla um, the, the actual the the, the the design of the Tesla uh, hardware um, is is primarily led by by Pete Bannon. Though I I should be clear, like the the lead designer of that is Pete Bannon, who is still with Tesla. Um, and uh, and then of course Andre Karpathy is head of uh, our AI team. So uh, we we don't plan to to hire a replacement for Jim's position. Great, thank you very much. Let's go to the next question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tony Sakanaji with Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on the previous question and the gross margin targets. Uh, I think you had said last quarter that once you got to 5,000 units, you felt that you could get to 25% uh, gross margins on Model 3. Um, so that feels like at least a six or nine month delay relative uh, to what you thought a quarter ago. Um, and I'm trying to understand what the 
what the key drivers are. Is it really the labor for capital substitution? Um, I don't think currency sequentially has changed much. I understand it can be a headwind, but I think relative to when you made those statements, it hasn't changed. Um, so perhaps you can um, help help us understand what has changed in terms of the gross margin ramp for Model 3 relative to what you thought before. And I have a follow-up, please. Yeah, it's along the lines of what we said in the letter. If we look at the combination of the recently imposed uh, tariff section 232 and countervailing duties, plus uh, commodity price increases, uh, as well as um, uh, the weaker dollar, that is um, adding significant material cost. Um, and then temporarily, we're using more labor. Uh, so when you combine those two, that's what uh, led to our guidance. And uh, certainly the material, the labor cost piece, we will address, uh, and that'll come out. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about a 3 to 5% difference. Yeah. So like, you know, and it's something that we'll, we'll, we'll solve like within a, a, you know, three to six months later. So like, it's not like it's like some, yeah. you know, don't make a federal case out of it. And the irritation is ramping up just a little bit, just a little bit. Okay. Um, and then separately, um, what, if anything, are you taking out in terms of your lowered CapEx projection for this year? And specifically, um, you know, in spending less than $3 billion, where does that take you in terms of both battery and production capacity uh, for uh, the Model 3? Uh, yeah, so we're just being much more smarter in many cases. Uh, as Elon said, we are not just spending money on automation. We're first looking at the problem, simplifying it, and that's, looked at, that's helped us reduce our CapEx on Model 3. Uh, and, and then we are also being critical about how we grow our infrastructure. Um, and um, uh, line it up with our growth in our business. So we, we feel that these are the right decisions, and there is still room for us to reduce it further if we wish to. So we are leaving ourselves some discretion here to go spend money where needed. And so where specifically will you be in terms Excuse of uh, your capital next. requirement? Next. next. And there it is. There it is. Boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. Thank you. Our next question comes from Joseph Back with RBC Capital Market. Uh, thank you. Um, the, the first question is um, uh, related to um, the Model 3 reservations, and I was just wondering if you give us a, a gauge as maybe some of the impact that, that the news has had. Like, of, of the reservations that actually opened and made available at Configure, can you let us know, like, what how what percentage have actually taken um, a step to configure? So I'm going to leave the actual length of the pause before Elon gives his answer. But the pause seems like an eternity. We're going to go to YouTube. Sorry, these these questions are so dry; <laughs> they're killing me. Thank you. Our next question is from Galileo Russell with Hyperchange. 
okay, so this guy crowdsourced a bunch of questions. And uh, Elon and the rest of the people in the room, mostly Elon, really gets the, uh, really enjoys answering these questions. They're not investor questions. They're really more for folks like us who are just kind of fans. So, um, yeah, let's let's take a listen. They're they're pretty good. Hey, great quarter! Thanks for having me on the call to represent retail investors. Um, I was wondering, with Waymo's plans to launch an autonomous taxi service in limited markets this year, if you could give us an update on the Tesla network and any details surrounding the launch date or geographic rollout. Thanks. Uh, sure. So, I mean, that's thank thank you for an interesting question. Um, the uh, the launching goal. Where things are obviously evolving towards is a shared electric autonomy model. Um, so, the in order for this to obviously for the whole sort of system to work, um, you know, you need all the pieces in place. Uh, you need to have um, full autonomy, level four or five, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, you know, obviously a lot of cars on the road. Um, and then build the software infrastructure behind that to enable uh, shared autonomy, so uh, to, to enable people to share their cars and be able to offer their cars as a, um, effectively kind of a robo Lyft or robo Uber. Um, uh, you know, it's sort of like a combination of like, I guess, uh, Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb type of thing, um, where you can own your car and have 100% usage of, of Autonomous electric car, uh, you can uh, say it's available generally to, to anyone who wants to use it. When you're not using it, you can recall it at will. Uh, you can restrict usage to only friends and family or only users who are five-star. Um, like This is like the obvious thing that's going to happen. Um, but in order for that to be in place, we have to obviously solve full autonomy. Um, you know, I, we're making really good progress on that front. Um, I believe that the current production of uh, the vehicles that we're currently producing um, are capable of full autonomy. Uh, with with the only thing that would really be like might be needed or maybe is probably needed is a is a computer upgrade to have more uh, processing power for the vision neural net. Uh, but but that's a plug-in replacement a thing that can be done quite easily. Um, so I think we're really well positioned and are building the, right, the foundation for uh, a, a, you know, ha having millions, uh, ultimately tens of millions of shared um, autonomous electric vehicles, you know, which you can, like I said, decide not to share if you don't want to. Um, and then it plays. And specifically on the timing. On the mm -hmm. timing, though, do you have any details about or when we could even expect to learn more about the timing of, of this service? So Elon does answer this question, but he really goes in a kind of a different direction. I mean, the answer is regulatory of, of approval, but uh, it kind of goes into a lot of the things that we've been talking about on this show. And I don't think anything he's said up to this point on the topic is anything new to people who have been listening to the show for a while. But uh, let's go ahead and listen to what Elon has to say. Well, um, the, 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 
the hardest thing to predict about the timing is regulatory approval. Um, you know, there's, you know, the thing that's uh, tricky with autonomous vehicles is that autonomy doesn't reduce the accident rate or fatality rate to zero. It, it improves it substantially. Uh, but the, the reality is that, um, um, you know, even though you know, we, think our, we think autonomy, uh, even, even the current autonomy uh, reduces the probability of, of a death by, by 50%, which, which is, would be incredible because it's like, uh, if applied you know, broadly, there's over a million, I think 1.2 million automotive deaths per year. Um, and how many do you read about? Basically, none of them. Um, however, and, 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 but if it's an autonomous situation, you, it's headline news. Um, and the media fails to mention that actually uh, they shouldn't really be writing the story. They should be writing a story about how autonomous cars are really safe, uh, but that's not the story that people want to click on. Um, so they write inflammatory headlines that are fundamentally misleading to the readers. Um, that's really outrageous. So, um, and this would be true like, even if electric cars were, or, or sorry, if autonomous cars were 10 times safer, so that instead of a million deaths, you had 100,000 deaths. There's, there's still going to be, you know, people who will who will still sue, and say, hey, uh, you're responsible for the death here. And it's like, well, the 90% the of people who didn't die are not suing. You know, they're not they're not they're, they're still alive. They just don't know it. Um, so so you, we've got to deal with that. And then obviously regulators respond to public pressure and and the press. So. If the press is hounding the, the regulators and um, and the public is, is laboring on misapprehension that autonomy is less safe because of of, of misleading press, then this is a, this is where I find the, the, the things to, the, the challenge of predicting it to be very difficult. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's really incredibly irresponsible of the pro, of, of of, of any journalist with integrity to write an article that would lead people to believe that Tesla autonomy is, is less safe uh, because people might actually turn it off and then die. Um, so anyway, I'm really upset by this. Uh, yeah, really interesting answer. But, Thank you. But, but um, for, I, I can say from a technical standpoint, I think I think we'll probably be ready by the end of next year. Awesome. And then one more quick thing on uh, production capacity and speed of the Fremont line, because this is something you mentioned a lot, it seems. And in the last quarterly conference call, you mentioned the max capacity was 700,000 uh, cars for Fremont or somewhere around there. And that was SX and 3. And so we recently got a report, a report from Reuters saying that Model Y production would start in November 2019 at Fremont. And so I'm just kind of curious with the semi and the Model Y launching next year, like where are you actually planning on assembling these vehicles? Uh, the Reuters report is based on nothing. Like I don't know where that came from. Uh, we will not be starting production Model Y at the end of next year. Um, I would say it's probably you know closer to 24 months from now. So 2020. Um, is, is a more likely prospect for Model Y, uh, you know, early 2020. Um, 
and the production location for Model Y has not been decided. Uh, we're really crowded here at Fremont. I don't know where we put the Model Y production. So it's difficult to imagine that. I, 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 we just could not fit the Model Y production at Fremont. We are jammed to the gills here. Um, so, so one thing I know for sure is not here. Uh, it, it is crazy packed. And, and we're, we're, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, we'll, okay. we'll be yeah, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to figure out what the optimal location is for, for Model Y production, but it's not here. Not, not here if you want. This next question is um, about the Tesla semi-battery, and Elon throws some pretty serious physics shade at a Daimler Chrysler uh, engineer. Okay, um, and I'm not an expert in uh, battery pack technology, but it seems that a lot of people are speculating that the uh, specs for the semi-truck even I believe the CEO of Daimler said it breaks the laws of physics. So I'm wondering, huh. is this just a linear? He doesn't know much about physics. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy to engage in a physics discussion with him. I actually oh. studied physics in college. And let's go ahead and insert the supervillain laugh here. <laughs> and then let's continue on. So, so yeah, my question is, is that just a linear improvement in your battery technology, or is there some sort of new breakthrough or, or different platform that the Semi and Roadster are going to be built on? Like, even if we didn't improve, I mean, even if we didn't improve our battery technology at all, we could achieve a 500-mile range truck at all. We're going to do better than 500 miles. Yeah, this is JB. I think the key point is it, it doesn't require some some dramatic breakthrough. That, that so I, there's a fundamental misunderstanding I think of what the, the current technology in our existing products can actually do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's just the misunderstanding of you know, sort of the, the current status of, of the technology versus you know others in the industry. Um, that could be where some of that's coming from. If they're benchmarking sort of the best battery pack they can buy, you know, from a supplier. Yeah, and then mapping that exactly. to what the semi could do, it doesn't give you, it doesn't solve. Um, so right. I, I think that that's maybe where some of it's coming from, but but we, uh, I mean, we, we basically have what we need in house and understand how to do those specs today or better, as Elon said. We could do a 500 mile range semi today. Um, I think the actual production unit will be above 600 mile range. Awesome, great stuff. Um, so I'm also wondering, are you guys going to let Porsche beat you to market with a 350 kilowatt hour supercharger? Because I know you've mentioned, you know, beats. Normally, I don't like questions that are phrased like this because it's kind of challenging, um, without really having anything to back it up. But I think it's done more like in a in a playful kind of friendly way, and the way you delivered it, I thought was really really well done. Three we'll questions are not boring. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I can keep going. So yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, so the, the three hundred fifty kilowatt, the, the three hundred fifty kilowatt charger from Porsche, like it, they mentioned, they're rolling that out on the last mm -hmm. call. JB seemed to indicate that you guys were sort of going to keep the status quo with your supercharger technology. But um, Elon, I know you mentioned that there is a V three supercharger, so I'm just trying to get some clarity on whether you will be improving your supercharger technology or not, and if there is a V three. Oh, we're definitely going to be improving our supercharged technology. Uh, the thing about a 350 kilowatt charger is it doesn't actually make a ton of sense. Um, unless you've got a monster backed battery pack uh, or have a, like a crazy high C rate, in which case your energy density is going to be poor. Um, so it's kind of cockamamie. Um, 
Yeah, we think maybe 200 on a per car. Also, I don't know if they meant 350 kilowatts for a single car. That's that's it's that's that's really pretty. You, you're gonna you're gonna frag the battery pack if you do that. Um, if there's no high, you cannot ha charge a high energy battery pack uh, at, at at that rate um, unless it's a you know, very high kilowatt hour battery pack. So, so something along the yeah, I think uh, you know, I don't know, JV, like a couple hundred, 200, 250, maybe. Yeah, I mean that that that's uh that's definitely sort of power level that we've we've discussed and explored, and some of it also comes down to an optimization around you know utility versus cost and trade-offs in the car itself. Um, you kind of hinted at that, Elon, but you, you know there is a trade-off fundamentally between charge speed and uh, and essentially range or cost of battery. Yeah. And you know we look at that pretty carefully. You know we, we you know we understand the trade-off, and we could design cells in a pack that could charge it, you know, faster than you know, 300, 400 kilowatts. But it's, it's not a very useful trade-off to the customer. That, that's the yeah. And Most people don't understand the difference between energy and power, even really. Yeah. Energy, you know, obviously energy is range, essentially must to range, and then power is kind of like your peak acceleration, basically. Um, you know, the way in which you consume energy. So, uh, really, what what's it's more important to have um, it's more important to have long range than it is to have a, a super fast charge time. Um, and you can sort of think about this in the devices that you use. Like, would you rather have a cell phone that lasted two hours but had it could charge it could charge in five in, in five minutes or ten minutes, let's say, but it only lasted two hours. Or you'd like a, a cell phone that lasts two days, and maybe it takes an hour to charge. Thank you. Our here. next. Yeah, we'll keep going until the questions on our are still while they're, while they're interested. Yeah, I have a I have a couple more. Um, for the superchargers, I know you guys are not trying to profit off of Tesla owners with that infrastructure, but will you ever open that up to other automakers and try and generate revenue from that system? Um, we've always said that. We're, this is not intended to be a walled garden, and we're happy to support other uh, other automakers and let them use our supercharger stations. They would just need to pay, uh, you know, the you know share of the costs proportionate to their vehicle usage, um, and they would need to be able to accept our, you know, our charge rate or at least and our connector or at least have an adapter to our connector. Um, so this is something we're very open to. Um, so far, none of the other car makers have wanted to do this. But, but it was, it's like not because of opposition from us. This is not a walled garden, you know, trying to make a moat bullshit. So I guess this reference of making a moat, like being, you know, the moat around the castle, came from Warren Buffett like in the 80s, I think the 80s. And it's basically, you know, like protecting your brands. Um, but Elon kind of has a different, a different take on on why you shouldn't build a moat, just as have a moat just for defense. Okay, and maybe could you clarify what's the strategy? Like, it seems like that would be a very strong moat to have this network. You guys have been building globally for years, so you know why open it up and why is that not a moat? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Uh, I, I'm just wondering why that isn't a moat because, you know, as a long-term investor, I feel like the charging infrastructure you guys have built would take years and millions of dollars for another brand to replicate. 
So I'm just curious about the strategic thinking behind opening that up versus keeping it closed. First of all, I think moats are lame. Uh, I mean, they're like nice and sort of uh, quaint uh, vestigial way. Um, but like, if you if you're if your only defense against like invading armies is a moat, uh, you will not last long. Uh, what matters is the the pace of innovation. That that is the fundamental determinant of competitiveness. Um, and for for any given company, uh, if the rate of innovation, let's say like you know competitors, maybe they're they come out with something new every six years. Uh, we're maybe every two to three years. So if, if our rate of innovation is, let's say, twice that of of any given competitor, then it is simply, or this is true of, of generally of companies in any industry, uh, whichever company has the highest rate of innovation, unless that company uh, is is actively killed by its competitors in some way that's nefarious, or shoots itself in the foot, it, it will at some point exceed those competitors. Like this was obvious that this would occur with, with Amazon and Walmart because Walmart's rate of, rate of innovation was negligible uh, and Amazon's was very high. The outcome was obvious a long time ago. And in terms of the mega charger, I noticed you guys are going to be selling energy at a fixed price uh, for those truck customers. So I'm wondering what the philosophy is there. Is it also you're going to operate that at cost and reduce that energy price or are you thinking of that as a revenue stream for the company? I love this question, and not because it's particularly interesting, but it's because Elon uh, kind of touches on the Nikola Motors $2 billion lawsuit that they have against the Tesla Semi. And it's just, you know, he just kind of brushes up against it. But it's interesting to, to kind of get a little bit more color on it. And we, oh. we, haven't, we haven't really talked about any of that and haven't finalized, frankly, any of that. It, it's, you know, we, we want to make sure that there's a you know, a very seamless and easy, uh, you know, system to operate, you know, trucks wherever they need to go. And, you know, some customers may may elect to, you know, to work with us on, you know, the whole system or parts of it. But uh, I think there's a lot of different ways that that, that can be solved. Yeah, I mean, for sure with um, with commercial trucking, like a heavy-duty semi, uh, economics are fundamental to, to that situation. Um, they're not making decisions based on aesthetics or, you know, uh, consumer-related things. Um, you know, we, we, like we made our semi, we're trying to make our semi kind of cool and sexy just because we think that that's a good thing to do, not because it affects the buying decision of our customers in, in a meaningful way. It doesn't really move the needle. Um, I got this, like, laughable lawsuit recently from some company ironically called Nikola. <laughs> it's like... Nikola is suing, suing Tesla. That's hilarious. Uh, fate loves irony. Um, and uh, but they're like suing us because the, the the way the trucks look, which is absurd. Uh, nobody's buying a semi truck because of the way it looks, um, or because it's got like a wraparound windshield or whatever. Please. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the economics are incredibly important, um, and. Uh, and so we have to make sure that the superchargers or megachargers, whatever we call them, for the trucks are set up in a way that um, they have very low cost uh, electricity. I mean, what, one maybe slightly related point to that that I think is super exciting about this is, um, you know, the potential to link up renewable energy generation 
at a very fixed and, and also very affordable cost, you know, to power uh, future trucking fleets. You know, ultimately, that can you know can give customers an incredibly you know deterministic cost per mile um, that will not change with the price of petroleum over you know decades, um, which is really really an interesting proposition for for a trucking customer. And you know that's something that uh, you know we're pretty excited about. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I have one last one. Last one. It's really worth emphasizing that for trucking companies, like if the cost of diesel you know goes up a few percent, it just it just like destroys their business. Yeah. Um, and whereas with um, with the sort of mega charger situation, uh, combining you know having basically a solar battery powered mega charger, we we have um, they have constant costs, and uh, and we know what they are. We can bake them in and. Um, yeah, it's very predictable uh, and, and lower cost per mile than a diesel truck. Um, but, fun, but fun, you know, fundamentally, it's like, what what is the cost? What is the cost per mile a kil you know, kilometer of of, um, of cargo? Um, and that that drives the commercial trucking market. I mean, you could have the ugliest truck in the world, and it still uh, would would be, be victorious. Yeah. Super yeah. Building on that, do you have any thoughts on how the trucking market could change or potentially grow if you guys are actually able to deliver on dramatic cost reduction, especially with things like platooning? Platooning is when you take uh, three or four trucks, let's say, and you have them in a single file line. The first truck really just kind of breaks um, the air up around the other three trucks, and those other three trucks uh, drive very close together with the fourth one and that cushion of air between the one in the front and the one in the back actually pushes the one in the front so it just kind of makes this really cool nascar like um, aerodynamic machine so it um, it actually ends up saving uh, in this case on energy but in the cases of diesel motors it saves on fossil fuels uh, making the trucks more efficient I think it will it will it will take away quite a bit of revenue from railway because the reason rail the reason rail, rail is able to be competitive is that effectively just platooning um, with with lots of rail cars and you need only a small crew to operate the train. However, trains don't go over trains don't go everywhere, so you have to like have a truck to deliver things to the train rail spur. And then picks up, pick it up, you know, and, and then at the destination, a truck's going to pick it up from the rail spur, spur over there. So you still have trucks plus train plus transfer. Um, so I think a pl platooning of, of of trucks will quite dramatically affect the rail industry in a, in a negative way. Okay, last one, I promise. On Tesla Energy. Um, I, I assume that you guys are basically supply constrained, not demand constrained on that side of the business. So I'm wondering how you're prioritizing residential versus utility scale. And in particular, how has this uh, successful project in South Australia sort of changed the industry's perception of what batteries can do? Yeah, it, I think it's had quite a profound effect. The, the uh, you know, South Australia took, took a chance on doing the world's biggest battery, and it's worked out really well. Um, if you read the articles, it's, it's worked out far beyond their expectations um, because the battery is able to respond at the millisecond level far faster than any uh, hydrocarbon plant. Um, and so it's, it's, it's value in grid stabilization 
was much greater actually than than um, than even a, a gas turbine plant, which can normally respond quite fast. Um, so it, you know, it's kind of like if you get on Tesla and you can you have that instant acceleration. It um, feels like you're like a what's that like a mind melt with the car. It's just like the car is you, um, and that same rapid response is true of the battery pack. Um, so the the, the customers that we've, the utilities that have worked with us far have really loved the, the battery pack, and um, I, I, I feel confident that we'll, we'll be able to announce a deal at the gigawatt hour scale um, within a matter of months. <clears throat> so, so a thousand megawatts, oh. megawatt, a thousand megawatt hours for those are only gigawatts. Yeah, maybe just the first part of your question also. Um, you know, it is absolutely accurate that we are still, uh, you know, there, there's more than enough demand, and we, we are still building uh, out of our demand uh, backlog and actually increasing it slightly. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're trying to you know, do our best to prioritize, you know, customers between, you know, residential, power wall, and, and utility and commercial. Um, you know, I'd say our longer-term strategy is to, you know, uh, you know, shift a little bit of our focus uh, and, and really catch up on our power wall demand uh, backlog, which is, is is quite it's too long right now. We know people are waiting too long, um, so that's uh, I think that's generally the direction we're trying to, to take that. Uh, but you know, Model Three has taken a lot of focus in the last few quarters, and you know that 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 trend is going to be reversing in the second half of the year. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate the time. Keep up the awesome work. You're welcome. Thanks for the great questions. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Phil LeBeau with CNBC. Hi, Elon. A uh, question on the uh, Tesla Semi. Can you give us some perspective in terms of how many reservations you guys have now and uh, where you guys are in the plan for uh, uh, developing it and uh, rolling out the first model? My apologies. Sorry, we're just discussing something internally. Could you repeat that question? Uh, with the Tesla Semi, uh, how many reservations do you guys now have, approximately, and where are you in the process as far as the development and um, the rollout of the first model in terms of timeline, when you guys expect that to happen, et cetera? I actually don't know how many reservations we have for the Semi. I, I don't about think about two thousand. Okay. I mean, we, we haven't really tried to sell the Semi. Um, it's not like there's like an ongoing sales effort. So, um, you know, sales orders are for the semi are like opportunistic. Um, really, companies approaching us. Um, you know, it's just not something we really think about much. Um, our focus is on the Model Three. We need to get that to uh, above five thousand a week um, at a, a good margin. We need to become a profitable company. Uh, that is uh, a. a, a a good criticism that has been leveled at Tesla, an accurate one. It is high time we became profitable, um, and um, you know. And the, and the truth is, like you're not a real company until you, until you are, uh, frankly. So that that's our focus right now. Um, and the then the, you know the, we've got a, an awesome product roadmap. The Tesla Semi is one of those things, um, and. Uh, you know, I think we've got a really good idea for the, the, the Model Y is going to be amazing. I'm really excited about that. Um, Tesla pickups going to be great. 
Um, you know, so uh, the product roadmap. I mean, we have like way more cool things than we know what to do. Like the idea is idea generation far exceeds the ability to execute it. So we just need to stay focused and not uh, divide our attention uh, on too many products at one time. And a follow-up, when, given the fact that you're uh, already packed to the gills in Fremont, when will you make a decision regarding a uh, second manufacturing facility? So that, that's probably later this year. It has to be later this year. Um, so I'm not sure of the exact time, but I don't know, maybe, maybe next quarter, um, but not later than fourth quarter um, for Model Y. And... Um, and then we also expect to announce the location of uh, a Tesla Gigafactory in China soon. And will that second factory, uh, when you announce it, will it be in, in North America, or is that going to be in China? Well, I just said it's in China. So the Gigafactory is there, but, but the second manufacturing plant will be oh, in China as well? Oh, sorry. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, uh, all, all, uh, sorry. Um, in, in the future, uh, all, all gigafactories will include vehicle production. So, so right now we've got vehicle production and battery production. Like battery production and motor and power electronics and charger production are at Giga, and then we've got our Fremont car factory. But future gigafactories will all incorporate vehicle production. Got it. Thank you. Um, Excited by the fact, you know, like the, 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 the we're appreciative, very appreciative of the fact that the government of China has um, announced that they will be allowing uh, full ownership of manufacturing facilities in China. Which let's express a word of appreciation to the Chinese government in that regard. I, I should also, Robin, is there anything that you'd like to say or anything? Well, we are in good discussion with the government, uh, so we'll announce something when we're ready. Okay, um, so um, Robin Rand's here with me. He's, Robin is, is, is managing uh, worldwide sales for, for Tesla right now. Uh, he, he was born and raised in Shanghai. <laughs> one the physics, one the eyes, I recall. Anyway, um, but we will talk more about I think the next uh, earnings call or, or Next, we'll have we'll have a lot more to say about that in the future. Our next question comes from James Albertine with Consumer Edge. So this guy's going to ask about uh, some of the high-profile. I'm using air quotes there. Accidents that uh, Tesla's experienced—not that they've experienced, but they've had their name attached to—and then Elon gets, you know, passionate. Okay. And, and if I can be brief, I wanted to ask, you know, given the coverage that you've received, you know, as it relates to these high-profile accidents, you know, one of the things we like most about your company is you have the most miles tested and, and continue to test daily from an autopilot perspective. Can you give us any color from what you're seeing in your data as it relates to the confidence that your consumers have in the autopilot functionality, whether they've used it more or less frequently in their existing vehicles or whether they've opted to purchase the functionality more or less in, in lieu of these accidents because we're really trying to get a, a sense of, you know, con consumer um, sort of, uh, you know, 
the ability for uh, or the, the, the uh, uh, likelihood of consumers to adopt this technology over time. So this would be very helpful. Thanks. Would you see a steady increase in the number of the percentage of miles driven uh, with using autopilot? Uh, so as we as we roll out more functionality, as we make it better, uh, we see we see a steady increase. Um, you know, I think it's something for, for cars equipped with autopilot, something on the order of uh, a third of highway miles, maybe closer, maybe a half in some cases are, in some regions, are on autopilot. Uh, but then, of course, when there's like negative news in the press, then that dips. Um, and then I was like, okay, this is not good because people are reading things in the press that get, cause them to use autopilot less. And then that makes it dangerous for our customers, and that's that's not cool. Um, that's why I get upset. Um, and uh, and then we get accused of blaming the victim. I was like, look, we're not blaming the victim here, but uh, we it is important that people not be under the wrong impression. Um, mm -hmm. the, the statistics are unequivocal that mm -hmm. autopilot improves safety, no question. Uh, in fact, I, one thing I was going to mention, forgot to almost forgot to mention, is that we'll be uh, publishing. Uh, our uh, safety statistics on a quarterly basis. Uh, Wonderful. So that people know exactly uh, what uh, autopilot safety is. Is it getting better? Or is it getting worse? Um, and it's like uh, one of the common um, misimpressions is that w when there is, say, uh, a serious accident uh, on autopilot, people mm -hmm. for some reason think that, uh, or some of the articles think that it's because the driver thought the car was fully autonomous and and it wasn't, and we somehow misled them into thinking it was fully autonomous. It is the opposite case. When when there is a serious accident, it is, it is almost always, in fact, maybe always, the case that it is an experienced user, um, and 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 the issue is what more one of complacency, like they just get they get too used to it. Um, that, that tends to be more of an issue. It's, it's, not, it's not a lack of understanding of, the, of what autopilot can do. It's actually mm -hmm. uh, and it, thinking they know more about autopilot than they do. Like quite, quite a significant understanding of it. But, but, but less than they realize. So it must be uh, frustrating when there's, you know, an accident that happens and someone blames, you know, basically Elon is Tesla and Tesla is Elon. They go hand in hand, and Elon clearly takes these things very personally. So it must be very difficult to separate um, those criticisms. Uh, and on the other side is if, let's pretend that these Teslas found to be not at fault, they can still be sued civilly, even though they're found not at fault. And they can, um, like nobody's going to issue them an apology. However, on the other side, you know, if it is their fault, then they should be held responsible. Um, but I don't think Elon, just, you know, gauging from the outside, thinks that it is. And um, because of that, you know, they're, they're, I guess they're just protecting what's important to them. Or, you know, they're doing what they think is right, even though it might not be what the public opinion thinks is right. And that's got to be very difficult. Just to clarify, Elon, so you've had two accidents spaced out pretty far. You've had dips during those periods when the accidents occurred. But to clarify your comments, you are increasing, you're seeing increasing usage, and you've weathered those dips. 
based on where we are today. That is correct. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ben Callow with Baird. Hey, Elon. So I remember uh, the Baron story. I don't know if it was fake news or not when you hung up on him about your battery costs. This is a very odd opening statement. Um, and I don't want to ask a mundane question, uh, but I think it's important because one of your stakeholders are shareholders right now. And so far, we've had a couple push-outs in production. And is there a way that you can update us when you get to that 3,000 number or 4,000 number per week? This is a terrible question. Of course they're going to update you. They're going to sing it from the highest rooftops. They want everybody to know that they are um, they're making positive advancements in the Model 3. I mean, that seems ridiculous. It seems silly. And I think Elon thinks so, too. I mean, you, you, you're active on Twitter. Uh, can you just let us know? Because we're going to have a big vacuum here. And there's a lot of uh, news flow out there that makes volatility into the stock. It makes it hard for people to own, even though you have a lot of believers out there. And so even though we're being myopic right now, I think it's very important to get those kind of updates. And so that's, I, I, I think that's my question. Can you give us an update when you get to 3000 4000 per week on the Model 3? Yeah, I, I actually, the, what's, what's, you know, Tesla is such a leaky server of information uh, that I think it's good, the news will leak pretty pretty quickly. Um, and also people track uh, registrations very closely. Um, so at most, any information that we provide would be a week or two in advance of what uh, will, will become public knowledge just due to, due to vehicle registra registrations um, and shipments that are tracked very carefully. Um, so... It, it, the, really, the, pro, the problem is like people get too focused on like what's happening in the space of a few weeks or a few months. This is, uh, you know, it's an old maxim of investing. You should not be focused on short-term things. You should be focused on long-term things. Um, I, I, and we're, we're, I, I, we're, I mean, we have no interest. We have no interest. In, we have no interest in satisfying uh, the desires of day traders. Like, I couldn't care less. Please sell our stock and don't buy it. I, under, I, I completely understand your frustrations, for, and, and, I, and I, I'm frustrated too on, on how myopic we are right now. Uh, they also say that you know great years are made out of quarters, and great decades are made out of years. So uh, everyone's short-term focused in some ways, and, and volatility has a, a, a way of shaking people out, uh, even that are strong and want to be there. And so, okay. uh, and anything you can do to help in the near term on that, I think is helpful for the stuff. That's it. I, I mean, I, I think that if people are concerned about volatility, they should definitely not buy our stock. I am not here to convince you to buy our stock. Um, do not buy it if volatility is scary. There you go. Okay, and let's go to our last question now. Thank you. Our last question comes from Alex Potter with Piper Jeffrey. Hi, guys. Thanks a lot. Um, not sure if this is going to be a hard question to answer. You, you mentioned uh, Model 3 market share versus the 3 Series and others in that segment. To what extent do you think Model 3 is, I guess, changing the denominator, making that segment larger as a class versus what it used to be? I think it will probably increase the, the, the total 
number of sedans purchased. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. So you um, think you're pulling, you know, X Accord buyers and Camry buyers into that class? Yeah, we, we know because, Yeah, we know it's because of the trade-ins. Um, so we see quite a wide range of cars, including so, so like the people that are trading in the cars are not they're not necessarily owners of as you know a C class or an Audi A4 or a three series. Um, that we saw signs of it even with Model S. Even with Model S. So with true. Model Three, it's going to be uh, even more prominent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think like, like also once once we get to like the the shared um, autonomy, you know, ride hailing thing, um, which yeah could be as soon as the end of next year, but that's probably that's, that's when it's technically ready, but then not long after that, I would expect some some jurisdictions to give regulatory approval. The effective cost of ownership of a Model 3 or, or, or Tesla drops dramatically because you can share that car with um, with others. Okay, very interesting. Um, last one. You mentioned earlier uh, you think the Model Y production is going to be a, a true sort of production revolution. If you had to do the Model 3 over again, there are some things that you would have changed and you hope to incorporate those learnings into the Model Y. What specifically would you do? Or what specifically do <laughs> you plan to do? Well, I think let's save that for another time. Um, like We'll talk about that when we unveil the Model Y. Uh, but it's, it's really going to be dramatically better. Um, the, the design and, and production system, I, I think, really will be next level. Okay. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll say that bottom line. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks everyone. For, uh, appreciate the good questions. Okay. And that is the end of the earnings call. The whole thing, if you stuck it out to the last hour and 20 minutes, I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, Elon later went to, to Twitter and basically just kind of complained about uh, the boneheaded questions. And I'll admit that some of those questions were really dumb. So I can't 100% blame him and everybody has bad days. But it was just like a, the weirdest, oddest uh, investor call or conference call that I have been doing this for almost two years now and it was by far the weirdest one so thanks everybody for listening to the show I hope you have a great week and I should talk to you on Friday fingers crossed Friday <laughs>